back in Mark chapter 6 today. We'll be concluding this chapter. Back in the 1970s, there was a, a Broadway musical that eventually became a film as well called Jesus Christ Superstar. I personally have not seen this film or seen the, the musical. I, I don't know much about it other than what's, you know, the world's most foremost authority on everything and most trusted source of all information, Wikipedia, has to say. Uh, this rock opera, according to Wikipedia, interprets the psychology of Jesus and other characters in the Gospels. And the musical was designed to highlight the humanity of Christ and show how he, just like us, had to go through his own trials in life as well. Well, I'm not here this morning to endorse that musical. Again, I've never seen it. I've read some things about it this week. The critics say that this musical reduced Jesus simply to being just the right man for the job that just happened to show up at the right place at the right time in human history and took advantage of that reality and had smashing success and, again, became this superstar. And it all was just, event, just kind of the culmination of just of what a happy coincidence. What lucky timing this was for him to arrive at the scene at that time and place in which he uh, came upon the scene. I, again, have never seen the film and I don't really intend to, uh, but the concept of Jesus as a superstar <clears throat> struck me this week as I was meditating on the words of our text this morning. In many ways, Jesus legitimately was a superstar in that time. He was a celebrity of sorts. I mean, what else do you call someone who is followed around everywhere he goes, and people seek him out, and he's, he is not just followed, but he is adored by the masses. He certainly was a superstar of sorts. But he is not a superstar of any mere human creation, Right, the ministry of Jesus Christ was not just some, he just happened to be at the right place at the right time like perhaps that uh, movie or uh, musical would have made it out to be. I mean, he certainly was at the right place at the right time, but that was a divinely appointed moment in time. Not just a mere coincidence, not just because he was lucky, but because he is, as the creator he designed it to be this way, that he would, as Galatians says, when the fullness of time had come, Jesus Christ came into the world. He came there at that precise moment to accomplish a particular task and was not merely one who just rode the waves of the masses to his popularity. Well, if you are in Mark chapter 6, let's go ahead and read our text this morning as we see the crowds continue to be impressed by Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 6, verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they had got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to, where, to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garments, and as many touched it were made well. <clears throat> this is a brief text that we are examining today. Jesus is soon going to begin to be more explicit about why he has come and what he will do to save people from their sins. 
And up to this point, he has been primarily focused on his authority and identity as demonstrated through his actions and teachings. But soon there will be a bit of a transition. There will be a transition to where Jesus is of a more intent focus on Jesus' teachings that will be detailed out. After establishing his identity, he will begin to explain his purpose in coming, and then he will teach his disciples more particulars about what it looks like to follow him. Of course, here at Pillar Fellowship, our aim is to lead everyone to follow Jesus Christ better, right? We have up on our banners, this is why we exist, that we all might hear, believe, and follow him. And we have the text up on the screen over, or on the banner over there. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is our aim. This is what we want to do. We want to be better disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus is going to teach us what that means as he is on his way to the cross, where he will die for the sins of the world so that all who trust in him may be given the power of the Spirit to live as he has instructed. That's a bit of where we are going. We're not there yet. Let us first consider our text for today. On the heels of the miracle of Jesus walking on the water and the disciples, there's just absolute shock at what Jesus was doing. We have this comment by Mark informing us the disciples are still not getting it. They're utterly astonished. They're amazed at what Jesus did. And the text says they were amazed, and it says in verse 52, They did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. It's a devastating indictment upon these disciples, who of all people should get it, right? I mean, they've seen what Jesus has done. They've been following him. They've been even commissioned by Jesus, and they were even doing some of the the same miracles as Jesus. And yet, they still don't get it. Mark seems to think that there was something about the feeding miracle that should have given the disciples more peace about what they were seeing as Jesus was walking across the water to them. And though Jesus, and through, as though Jesus, excuse me, I have a typo in my notes and I'm struggling with the sentence. It's as though Jesus' care for the masses should have been a clue for them that Jesus cares Jesus cares for them. He cares for the disciples. And they should have seen that He is Almighty God in human flesh. But as Jim pointed out last week, they were missing it. They didn't have eyes to see. They, they, they weren't understanding what it was that was unfolding before them. Mark doesn't linger too long on that point. He moves right into the next paragraph. All right, they were on the boat, and boom, all right, now they've arrived at their destination. And immediately they're again met with crowds. Doesn't seem to be much new about this. We crowds seem to just show up sooner or rather than later wherever Jesus goes in this text and in, these, in the passages that we've covered so far in Mark. As soon as someone says, oh, there's Jesus, the people immediately make a beeline to their family and their friends, and they... Bring them to Jesus, anyone who is in need of the Lord's help. 
Well, as we look at this text and see it, just note a, a few particular things. The verb tenses in this passage communicate some continuous actions that unfold, are unfolding. There's an ongoing affair. Wherever Jesus goes, the people continually come and they continually bring people to Jesus. They keep coming, they keep bringing, they keep begging Jesus to heal. And he did indeed heal. Many people were healed. The text says, as many as touched the fringe of his garment were made well. <clears throat> this is a summary text. A summary text in this passage that kind of brings us at the end of a section and is beginning to transition us into the next session, section. This is not the first summary text that we have seen. There have been others that we have come across, but this is the most expansive summary text that we have seen. As we have gone through this book, we have come across numerous texts that have been summary passages. I'm just going to remind us of a few of the summary texts that we have seen so far as we continue to walk through this text. We see... we. In Mark chapter 1, verse 45, we see that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. In Mark chapter 3, we saw that he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him, for he healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. There's so many crowds, there's so many people crowding in around him. And so he had to retreat from the shore onto a boat to get away from the pressing crowd. Earlier in this same chapter, we saw that Jesus, he had sent out the disciples, and they were doing many of the same miraculous things. They went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. After feeding of the 5,000, word continues to spread like wildfire about this man who can not only teach, not only cast out demons and heal, but can multiply food as well. So again, this is not the first summary passage we have seen, but it is the most expansive. The masses... The massive response of the crowd seems to be emphasized here with different kinds of language. Early in our Sunday school class, we're talking about discerning particular words and phrases that are significant to the meaning of the text. Well, we have some in our text here this morning, so let's, just, let's apply some of the principles that we learned in Sunday school this morning to our text even today as we study this passage in Mark chapter 6, verses 53 and following. So in verse 56, or rather verse 50. I have it wrong in my notes. Uh, verse 55, it says, They ran about the whole region, and they brought about sick to wherever they heard he was. And again, in verse 56, wherever he came, whether that be villages or cities or countryside, and so there's this stacking of terms, and all these terms are related to one another, where it's just showing the expansiveness of this ministry and the expansiveness of the response of the people. It didn't matter where he went, it didn't matter what he was doing, wherever he showed up, the people went there. And as many touched his garments were made well. 
So out of all the summary texts that we have leading up to this point, this is the most expansive. This is also the last of such summary texts. So I was studying this text this week and just kind of flipping backwards and looking towards the early portions of the book and then looking ahead and seeing what is to come in the future chapters of this book. I was scanning through, keeping my eyes peeled for such summary passages that I could compare to see how this looked with other passages. And I found several again going back. We looked at several of them already. But I didn't find any like this moving forward. This passage seems to be a bit of a pivotal one. It's a transitionary text. The focus of Jesus' ministry is going to shift after this point. He's going to be more explicit about His purpose in coming. There's going to be more emphasis upon His teachings and His discourses. And this text marks the beginning of that turn, the concluding of a section and introducing the next section. Well, as Mark places this summary text here, there's some things that he wants us to sit with and he wants us to reflect upon as we have considered everything that we've seen in Jesus' ministry up to this point. So what is that? What is it that he wants us to, be, to sit with? What does he want us to be prepared for about what is coming next? What do we learn from this text? Well, as this is a summary text, I just want to remind us from this text a few things that tie together all of the things that we have seen previously in our study so far and bring them to bear in our text today. First, we can be reminded of Jesus' love and care for the masses. We can be reminded of his love and care for the masses. We see Jesus traveling around and spreading his healing power wherever he goes. Jesus' love is expressed here for everyone, no matter what they are dealing with, no matter what they're going through, Jesus cares. And we have seen this throughout the book of Mark in a variety of ways, in a variety of circumstances. If we were to rewind and go back to chapter 1, we see Jesus' mother-in-law was ill, and he healed her. In chapter 2, we would find the four friends, I think I misspoke perhaps, I meant to say Peter's mother-in-law, and Jesus healed <laughs> slip of the tongue there. <clears throat> In chapter 1, Simon's mother-in-law was ill, and he healed her. Thank you for allowing me to clarify that. We spoke heresy here this morning. In chapter 2, four friends brought a paralytic man to Jesus, and Jesus sees their faith, and he responds, and he works a miracle for that man. In chapter 4, we see Jesus calm the winds and the waves as he cares for the disciples. They, They are terrified at the storm, and He calms the stormy seas. In chapter 5, we saw several miracles that really made everything else that Jesus had done up to that point almost look like child's play. He didn't just cast out a demon, but he cast out a legion of demons from the one man. He didn't just heal someone of their infirmity, but he healed a 12-year flow of blood, and he made sure everyone knew that this woman was clean once again. He didn't just heal Jairus' daughter, but he raised her from the dead. These are miraculous activities that are completely unparalleled. Yes, Jesus loves and cares for people no matter what. 
And this is on display once again in this summary passage where Jesus moves from town to town, from city to city, from countryside to countryside and heals people all along the way. This is a good reminder for us that Jesus loves and cares for us. There are times where we may not on an emotional level feel like this is true. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and easily fear every evil. We can feel as though he has forsaken us. We can feel as though he does not hear our prayers. We can feel as though he does not answer. And the enemy would love nothing more than for us to be doubting our Lord and wondering if our prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. The solution to this is to remind ourselves of what is true, to be intentionally reminding ourselves what is true. The evil one would whisper to us, oh, he does not hear, or worse, he hears and he doesn't care. And we must remind ourselves, no, no, that is not true. He who has promised is faithful. I know he hears and I know he cares. He died on the cross to prove it and he tells me in his word and his character and his nature is sure. Jesus Christ cares. Years ago, there's a, this is a bit of a, this is a very obscure uh, reference, but there's, there's a Christian punk rock band that I used to listen to when I was in high school. And there's a song that they would, that they would sing that's, it was about confronting lies and the opposition that would speak, and the chorus was almost a defiant cry, you're preaching lies against the evil one as he would try to drag this individual down, the author of that song. Well, the enemy would try to get us to take our eyes off the cross. He would try to distract us from the, all the things that are going on in this world. He would try to convince us that our Lord doesn't hear or he doesn't care. And we need to say No. You're preaching lies. Our Lord does care. And this text reminds us of that reality. So we would do well to take it to heart, be reminded of his love and care, both for individuals and for the masses. Second, we can be reminded of his awe-inspiring power. This text causes us to reflect back on the case of the woman who had that 12 years bleeding, 12-year flow of blood. She was determined that if she could only just, just touch the hem of his garment, that's what she reasoned within herself. If I, could just, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, I would be made well. And Jesus responds. He, he heals her in that instance. He affirms her and, and he sends her back on her way whole again, completely restored. And back towards the beginning of this chapter, Jesus... Uh, we had uh, Jesus doing an incredible act of miraculous power to, to take this woman who everyone would have known as ritually unclean and restore her fully just through the touch of that garment. 
So take that, that one singular touch and the healing power that was expensed through that and multiply that hundreds of times over within our text as many as who touched even just the hem of his garments, the fringe of his garments were made well. This is the all-powerful God of the universe. It wasn't that Jesus' garment was just some sort of, of miraculous talisman or something that if you could just touch that thing that, that hey, there would be something miraculous that would happen. No, it, it, be, it was because of Jesus Christ. He is the great physician. He is the one who will one day restore the world and banish every disease from this earth. And he does it just by walking by and people touching the fringe of his robe. You know, incidentally, just as a bit of a, of a side note, have you, have you ever wondered why the so-called faith healers don't go about where there are many sick people? They don't go into hospitals. They don't go into these places. They, they just tend to have their little crusade type things and try to have their little, whatever you want to call them, uh, events that go on. But they don't go to the places where there are people who are actually suffering and dying. Could it be that it's because they don't have the power that they claim to have? Well, Jesus is not like these charlatan so-called faith healers. Jesus is Almighty God. He who gives the command and every cell in that person's body must respond according to Christ's command. Have you ever thought about it that way? Think about what must happen, say, even just for someone who has been a cripple for decades, for them to walk again. Atrophied muscles would have to be immediately strengthened. Blood would have to flow through parts of the body that it hasn't flowed in years. We're talking about spontaneous cellular regeneration or maybe just plain old generation in the first place. Creating healthy tissue out of nothing. Jesus does this simply by walking through crowds and them just being able to touch the fringe of his robe. Again, we have seen the power of Jesus on display multiple times throughout this book. Power over demons, power over illness, power over the nature and the seas themselves, power over leprosy, power over food, power even over death itself, power to heal individuals, power to heal the masses. Jesus is not limited by anything. So we remind ourselves, it's that simple children's song, my God is so big, so strong, so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. Can God provide for your needs in ways that you could never imagine? Yes. Could he provide that needed financial blessing out of nowhere? Yes. Can he take your, away your illness just like that? Yes. Can God miraculously cure cancer and leave all the doctors baffled at the missing tumor? Yes, and he has done that. Can God turn all of our heartaches into joy through the power of the Holy Spirit? Yes, he can, and may he do so. 
But if we ask God to do all those things and he looks upon us with compassion in his eyes and he says, my child, no. I know this hurts, but this is in your best interest to endure through this trial. Can God take all that pain and all that suffering and give you the strength and the grace that you need to endure? The answer to that is yes. Yes, he can. Think of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and I'm, this is from the New King James. I like the way that it phrases this particular verse. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Go on to say, to him be the glory and the honor. We serve an awesome God. We serve a God of limitless power who is able to take all of our hardships and give us the strength to endure. And if in his wisdom and his grace he saw fit to remove those hardships from our lives, he is able to do that as well. We serve an awesome God and we often need to be reminded of his power. Third, we can be reminded that this is merely but a foretaste of what is to come. This is a foretaste of what is to come. We need to remember that again that this is in the middle of this book as we are flowing. This is moving in a particular direction. There is going to be a day when Jesus Christ will rule the world in truth, righteousness, and justice. And all the nonsense that goes on within the world right now, all that will be done. All the nonsense in the political world, done. All the wars, over. All the conspiracies, all the fake news, the so-called misinformation that gets thrown around, all of that will be things of the past. And here in this text, we see just a little hint, just a little taste of what it will be when Jesus Christ does return. Diseases, death, be a thing of the past. Earlier, I took a little bit of a, of a shot at uh, some of the extreme charismatics that are out there as far as what they believe about things, the so-called faith healers who failed to empty hospital beds. Well, their theology is based on the idea that Jesus provided not only spiritual healing and forgiveness of sins within his death upon the cross, but also physical healing was also provided for in the atonements. And so on that basis, everyone who has faith in Christ not only is forgiven of their sins, but should expect to see physical healing as well because that physical healing was provided for in the atonement of Christ. And so there are groups like the Assemblies of God who have this as part of their doctrinal statements. Brothers and sisters, we do not believe their theology is correct in this area, but sometimes we can overreact to bad theology and embrace the opposite extreme on the other side of the spectrum. The reality is, is that there is a degree of truth to that theology that physical healing was provided for in the atonement, but what they are missing is when that healing takes place. 
See, we are not promised physical healing in this life for trusting in Christ. We're not promised healthy and wealthy lives if we would just follow the Master and have sufficient faith. No, we are told that we can expect suffering. We are told that we can even at times expect severe suffering. But there will be a day when all that will be a thing of the past. There will be a time when the resurrection and, and, and the glorification of our bodies, it is something that is provided for in the atonement of Christ. Christ has been raised himself as the first fruits of what is to come, and we are will be raised after him and will share in the glories of the resurrection. And Jesus gives us just a little hint, a little taste, a little picture of what that is to look like as he goes about healing the people en masse within this text. Eradicating every disease from the earth, that's going to come. There's a taste of that as he eliminates diseases from these cities as he passes through. One of the songs that I was considering to sing this week was When We All Get to Heaven. That hymn, great classic hymn, While we walk the pilgrim pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when the traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Because just one glimpse of Him in glory, all the toils of life repay. Because when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. Maybe we'll sing that song in future weeks here. But for now, we're reminded that this story of Jesus Christ is moving in a particular direction. It's going somewhere definite. It's not, it's not amorphous. It's not nebulous. It's not like, oh, you know, I wonder where all this is going to turn out. No, God has his purposes for history. And we're not there yet. We're not there yet within our text, and we're not there yet within our lives upon this earth. But until then, we're reminded of where this is going by Jesus giving us that foretaste through his miraculous power upon the earth. We can be reminded that this is a foretaste of what is to come. Finally, we can be challenged to bring others to Jesus. One of the things that strikes me in this passage is, is the love that the masses have for their fellow man. Look again at verses 54 through 55. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him, and then they had a response. What did they do? Verse 55, they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. The people recognized him, so they immediately ran. It wasn't just something that they just kind of, okay, you know, slowly made their way or whatever. No, they they were quick about it. They, They ran. They saw that there was an opportunity for healing. They had a loved one, a family member, a friend, or maybe just a complete stranger that they knew needed help. And so they brought him to Jesus. They were concerned for their fellow man and a desire to see them brought to good health and made whole again. Again, this calls to mind back to chapter 2 when the friends brought that paralytic man on the mat to Jesus and lowered him through the roof. 
When people learn about what Jesus can do, they do everything that they can to bring those who need what Jesus can offer to him. You know, as we've seen through this book, the crowds, the crowds don't always respond appropriately to Jesus. There are at times seeming that they're just more focused in the things that Jesus can do for them rather than being interested in the person of Jesus Christ himself. They're more interested in the gift without giving proper heed to the gift giver. And in future weeks, we're going to see crowds of people clamoring about Jesus, but instead of imploring him to heal them, they will be calling for his life as they shout out, crucify him. But here, here the crowd seems to show a little bit more depth by bringing others to Jesus. Just as it was the faith of the paralytic's friends that was significant to Jesus in chapter 2, it seems implicit here that the faith of those who bring others to Jesus is an important factor for how these unwell individuals are made well again. They had love and care for their fellow man and led them to the one who could restore them. Brothers and sisters, we have the opportunity within our own personal lives to have a similar role of bringing people to Jesus. We interact with people on a daily basis who need to be brought to Jesus who need what Jesus can offer them. We can bring people to Jesus so that he can make them whole again. Another text that we referenced this morning in our Sunday school class, this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, speaking of being made a new creation in Christ, behold, the old things have gone and new things have come. Then Paul says, all this is from God. This is a gift from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That concept of reconciliation speaks of being restored with a, a right relationship. There was a broken relationship with the Father. Well, now that's restored through Jesus Christ. We have that relationship restored and now we have the opportunity, we have the ministry of reconciliation to make, to bring that about in other people's lives as well. So Paul continues to explain, that is to say, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the ministry of, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. His representatives, his emissaries going out into the world to proclaim the message of God. And so, this is, we are making, it is as if God is making his appeal through us. And so we say these words, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We have this opportunity, this ministry this blessing of being Christ's ambassadors to bring people to Jesus. We get to implore them. We get to reason with them, beg them, teach them. Be reconciled to God. He will forgive. He will save. He will restore. And for all who do come, 
he who promised is faithful, he will also do it. He will keep his promise. He will save. He will restore. So we have these reminders from this summary text that point us to our great God and Savior. Christ is the one who cares. He is the one who is Almighty God who has limitless power. And this is merely a foretaste of what is to come and we have the opportunity to bring people along to Jesus that they may one day experience the glories of our great God and Savior for all eternity. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Lord, we do thank you so much for this text. We thank you that we have these words, this summary of Jesus' ministry, but the profoundness of what is here. Lord, may we take these things to heart. May we be reminded afresh and anew of who Christ is, what he has done, and where history is moving. And may we be faithful to bring others to Christ, that Christ may save. Thank you for this passage. Thank you for our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.